I am the, the master of everything. As long as you can hear me, it's fine. Okay, okay, whatever. I won't ask questions. Don't ask <laughs> questions, that's right. You're just following orders. Yeah, yeah, like the Nazis. Like the Nazis. God, these cold opens just fucking make themselves, don't they? <laughs> yeah, this, Aaron, this might actually be part of the episode. Oh, he knows. That's fine. I told him before you got here, Shadi. So we should, we should, we should perhaps, we should, we should perhaps intro our guest this time, uh, Shadi, as my, as my former brilliant colleague, Aaron Sabarium, who is currently at, uh, the Washington Free Beacon. What's your title there, Aaron? I think associate editor. Associate editor. You think? I, I think that's what they call me. So I guess that's what it is. Were you a philosophy major at Yale? I forget. No, so I was something called ethics, politics, and economics, but mm. I, I kind of used it to take a lot of philosophy, and in retrospect, I should have done just pure philosophy because I would have liked it more, but yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm interested in all sorts of weird analytic philosophy stuff. And, so. I, and, and as, as, as Aaron's editor, it's been my, my never-ending task to try and make him do less philosophy in his essays, or at least less overtly. That's been that's been my task, as I've seen it in many cases, and, since I've known Aaron. And you largely, I think, succeeded with this most recent one that we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, before, and I want to say something about Aaron, too, but before that, I think it's time. Time for the marketing pitch? Go, shoddy, go. <laughs> I'm so good at this now. Okay, guys, I think that you should become a paying member of Wisdom of Crowds. If you like what we do and you want to support us as we try to grow the website, do more, bring more people like Aaron on, I think you have a very strong incentive in joining us and being part of our community. And it's only for the price of a latte, depending on where you get your lattes per month, just $5. So you can subscribe at wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe. Shadi, are you are you insinuating that we're paying Aaron and that they need to <laughs> that they need to they need to pay money to get stuff like Aaron on the on the podcast? No, no, but I mean, just in terms of like, we'll be able to like produce. I don't know. Don't hey, don't ask too many questions. But yeah. the basic idea is that we want to build our community. Agree. Don't, don't agree. you want to get Obama on the podcast? Yes, that is one of our yes, long term goals. I do we have to pay Obama to come to the podcast? That's the other question. <laughs> Doesn't Obama do this out of the kindness of his heart, or does he ask for six figures? I think he charges like $10,000 per podcast episode. Actually, I'm just making that up, but who knows? It's possible. I mean, speakers bureaus, yeah. Anyway, go on. Okay, but I do want to say something about our dear guest. Um, I have talked about him in the past as one of the great young conservative writers in America today. A lot of qualifiers there, but it's still really important. True fact. I mean, in the same way that I'm the most important Croatian writer today, right, Shadi? Except Croatian-American. Croatian-American, not even Croatian. True. Yeah. And to be fair, the universe of possibilities there is like five people. Precisely. With um, great, with young conservative writers in America today. Much We're probably talking about a thousand people. That's right. No, no. I think Aaron's much more accomplished in that way. Yeah, he's probably in the top five of the thousand young conservative I might, writers. I might, I might amend conservative to not on the left. <laughs> Interesting. And, and, and be, no, no, no. And, 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 I, I'm willing. I, I think it might be an accurate label, but I, I, I'm agnostic about 
its applicability. To well, me. that's Let interesting. Me I mean, we should actually way. unpack that a little bit, Aaron, yeah. since, since we have you on here. I mean, are you, do you feel in general, I mean, I've always felt this way, uh, even though I, I, I tend to sort of, especially as I grow older, like, you know, lean to the right, but I've, I've always hated the, the C word. Um, and I wonder, I wonder you as someone coming up right now, whether, whether like, you know, the taint of conservatism, sure. what it's becoming is, whether you feel like it's a, it's a real liability for you. You know, I don't know if I'd say it's so much that it's a liability as that I think it just may be – it may be inaccurate insofar as I depart from conservatives on a lot of pretty big questions or at least – now, I think it, what the other problem is that what conservative and liberal mean uh, has changed so much in part as a result of the Great Awakening that I think it may well be that within 10 years just – ordinary conservative in ordinary discourse is going to mean anti-woke and that's it so shoddy will be a conservative at that point right like i think that actually not maybe not quite that far but i don't i think that is actually quite plausible but um right now i think it's there we're in kind of a weird transitional phase and you know I would say I'm culturally conservative insofar as I believe that there is a kind of concerted ideological assault on aspects of our heritage and aspects of, you know, say the great books and and pillars of liberalism and Western civilization that needs to be combated. But I would say that cultural conservatism is not the same thing as what I would call social conservatism, which in practice means pro-life, you know, critical of gay marriage, things like that. And, you know, on on all sorts of social issues. So you don't I, support I, life. Uh, sure. I mean, look, Who like, us I, supports all, life. Come I on. mean, we can, we can even get into this later, but I will say, you know, I, I, I'm sympathetic to where pro-life people are coming from, but I, ultimately I think, you know, if you don't, if as I do, you, you don't believe that it's murder, you know, that, that does create some cleavages. Like, I, I mean, I yeah. know a lot of I know a lot of people who I think might be voting for Biden, but for the abortion issue, and they're either not going to vote or they're going to vote for Trump. And you know, I think that's pretty intellectually consistent. Um, yeah. Do you support universal health care? Yes. Although, do you think health care is a right? Not a right. Come on. Um. <laughs> Everyone should have access to it if possible. Um, in reality, we face a very complicated series of trade-offs that may, you know, between say, you know, access, accessibility, and quality, and all sorts of other things. And so, I'm agnostic about whether single payer is better, or say, what I think, like the catastrophic care system Singapore does, you know. I don't think the GOP has any health care plan. So yeah. this, this is another example, too. Like, you know, conservative can mean a lot of different things. I'm not a Republican. I think the Republican Party is horrible um, and the Democrats. But like he, I think like the, the, the failure of Trump in the last debate, just to take one concrete example, to articulate anything like a coherent health care plan is embarrassing. Crap, and, I forgot to watch that. Uh, don't watch it. But but suffice it to say, Republicans don't know anything about health care and like – to me, they're so stupid on so many issues that I just, as someone who considers himself not completely stupid, like, 
to support the institutionalized GOP, I just I just can't do it. Um, yeah, you know what would be an interesting idea for a podcast? It's sort of called um, "Why Aaron is Not a Conservative?" Question mark. And every episode is like me and Demir just asking you questions one after the other about random things that you believe. Yeah, and it could be a like spinoff. It's a spinoff. Yeah, it could be yeah. like ten episodes over the course of a year, and that's like literally all we do. I don't know if yeah. there's a big audience for that. No, though. I mean, but no, <laughs> but let's let's unpack this just a little yeah, bit more though. It's it. just like I mean, um, I mean, I guess where to start? I, I the question again. I want to push you on this. Yeah, do it. the conservative thing. Fine, you're you, you're you're into conserving great books. Uh, you're not technically a religious conservative. Though you, like most people, understand the importance of religion in something and in, in to, for a social cohesion, right? Um, why are you shying away from the c word? Because you said you're, you're, that was what we started this on. Where, where's where's the repulsion coming from? Be, mainly because you're not you're not pro life. Uh no, that's not the only reason. Although I I, I think that to some extent, I mean, you even said it yourself these labels are kind of uh essentializing yeah and and here's here's the thing right in america at at least you know like look so during the bush years right i think if you're like if you were pro-choice and pro-gay marriage during the bush years i i just i don't know if it's really meaningful to say you were a conservative i guess maybe you could say you were socially liberal but fiscally conservative i'm not even really fiscally conservative insofar as i you know, in, in fine with government doing all sorts of things, but but, so, don't, but don't bring in gay marriage. I mean, Obama was against gay marriage, right? No, like, I, right. So that's I know. the other part. So, that's, so, so that's, that's just like an anachronism, but that's, really. But that's the thing. But that's just it. It, it. it seems like to me, conservatism is a is a. I think Huntington called it a situational ideology, mm-hmm. and he had a sort of minimalist definition, which was it just means that you, you know, kind of take a given order as worth conserving and you know, worth conserving in the face of threats to that order. And it really doesn't have much more content beyond that. And and I think Huntington was th- probably right. I mean, you could you could add a few more clauses to that definition, but I think it's it's it suffices for our purposes. But the thing is, you know, there are certain aspects of the present order that I think are under threat that I want to conserve. There's other things that are under threat that I don't necessarily think we should conserve. And because Trump has scrambled the sort of battle lines, I just don't know if in kind of a analytic, positivistic sense, it's accurate to call myself a conservative. But I should say, I don't, I used to shy away from the label in the sense of, no, 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 you shouldn't associate me with those, with those guys. And now I'm like, well, I don't mind if you associate me with conservatism. I just don't know if it's accurate much in the same way i think a lot of the the neocons resisted the label very aggressively at first and then my sense is that later in their life you know i think they just just stopped caring yeah like like i don't know if this is accurate you know nathan glazer believed what he believed right yeah and i'm not comparing myself to nathan glazer Mm -hmm. but but the point is no but the point is that (laughs) No, but like, but like, the point is that these guys got pigeonholed as conservatives, and we call them neoconservatives. They didn't really identify as such at the time. Whether they 
were conservative in some linguistic or ontological sense. I, I mean, Irving Crystal invented the term, right? Am I am I misremembering my history there? Didn't he come up with the new conservative persuasion? A liberal mug by reality or something like that. Yeah. But, but, but Demir, I, f- I fear that we're asking the wrong question. If, if the goal is to understand why Aaron is what he is or is not, I think the right question would be, what team are you on? Because oh, that's really what this is about. No, I mean, I'm, like, yeah. it, no, no, no. I mean, I'm being serious here. I don't think that to, to know if someone's a conservative or not, it, it, we shouldn't be asking necessarily about details on policies because I um, I want to conserve aspects of our current order. And I think many Democrats do. That doesn't make them conservative. They're right. Democrats because they're Democrats. Right. Because right. they have decided to be consciously part of a particular tribe, um, regardless of whether or not they kind of align with a specific set of policy prescriptions. Like, why is that unreasonable? No, I mean, it's reasonable. It's, it's, uh, I, I, I mean, I mean, that's I, why I'm a Democrat. But, but I mean, the reason that, that I enjoy doing this podcast with you, Shadi, is that you're much more complicated than that. And, and, uh, in fact, you're, you're less of a team player. You like to throw a bomb in your team's tent, as you have in the, the Atlantic the last <laughs> yeah, few times. It's still, it's still my team, though. Ah, sort of. But you're going to get, well, you're so, going to so get expelled from it, just but, like but, the Neocons did. But here's, here's, okay. So, so, but to, to maybe, to maybe meet Demir's challenge a little more head on by reframing it in Shadi's terms. I'm probably I, – I don't identify as being on the left. I mean, I, I think the left increasingly just means a set of things really well beyond, say, just support for universal health care or whatever. I mean, I, I think, frankly, there are a lot of people who are conservative who support that in some form. That's not what being on the left seems to be about in the main anymore, Um it does seem to be much more about identity politics and identity issues and uh, a set of cultural sensibilities I do not share. And furthermore, I'll throw this out as a provocation. I think Yasha Monk had some debate with, uh, what was it, uh, Nigel Ferguson or someone? Neil, Neil Ferguson. Neil yeah. Ferguson, yeah, yeah, yeah. About whether the the populist right or the far left was a, or the woke left was a bigger threat. And I lean towards woke left pretty strongly that that's a bigger long-term threat than the populist right. And as we'll get into when we talk about my essay, you know, I I hate Trump and I, I want him out of office, but I don't really see America becoming dangerously right-wing authoritarian anytime soon. I do see something not maybe identical with what Rod Dreyer calls soft totalitarianism, but something more in that vein coming from the left. And in terms of certainly what arouses kind of my emotional, you know, what, what gets what gets me angry, what kind of arouses a real strong emotional response in me, um, it is more the the far left and the woke left than... I would say, you know, uh, a Catholic conservative who doesn't like gay marriage. That wasn't always the case, but now I think I, I have more in common with a, you know, probably, you know, a moderate person at first things, moderate by first things as standards, than I do with, you know, 
a lot of journalists at the New York Times. Okay, well, this is probably a good segue into talking about your piece. And and I'll, I'll let Demir sort of do the honors there. But one thing I did want to say is that when I read your piece, uh, maybe I'll just say what the title is. So, you know, what's funny, I just searched for Weimar Aaron to get it up oh, on dear. my screen. And the first thing that came up was Aaron Weimar image comics database he's a teacher in like the middle of the country and apparently i don't know his last name is weimar (laughs) so clearly you got to do a little bit more to find your article but the article title is the weimarization of the american republic it was published in american purpose which is a new magazine which is quite good um, which i would recommend you guys um, taking a look at it came out a few days ago this piece it's been getting a lot of hype on the Twitters. And, um, you know, we can maybe say a couple words about Weimar because not everyone will be familiar with the context here. Um, but I will say that before I came on this um, this podcast episode, I was like, I'm going to make mincemeat out of Aaron's article. I'm going to just destroy it. But I'm not going to do that. Why? Because no, you, you're no. convinced? Wait, Shadi, why? <laughs> Wait, yeah, Shadi, I, I, I want to fight. No, Come okay, on. okay, hold on, guys, hold on. <laughs> uh, uh, before, before we <laughs> launch into this, you know, I, I, I do want to just mind this a little bit more yeah. on the, on the conservative thing because I think it actually does lead in. I, it's right instincts, Shadi, to jump into the article, but I think we can, we can do this a little bit. So, you okay. know, you, you were citing, you were citing Huntington, Aaron, and, and, uh, you know, at the same time, your description about why you find yourself in the situation is sort of almost. Uh, consonant with like Lionel Trilling's famous description of conservatism, right? Like a series of irritable mental gestures, like this annoys me, like the wokes annoy me and stuff like that. And, and, but then, you know, again, just like going to, to Shadi's thing about tribes, I think that was also an attempt to sort of set up this article and a reference to sort of Shadi trolling me offline on something else about my sort of annoyances about how journalists are behaving in this moment. I don't know. I, I, let me just, Maybe turn to you, Shadi, though, before we dive into this, because Aaron's article is very much about, uh, I would say, and Aaron contested later, but like it's about polarization. And it's it's, I think, a a look at at basically, well, you know, I mean, to use the the lingo that we ban- uh, use in this podcast sometimes about fallenness, ultimately, that that even even those people who think they're doing the right thing and are acting heroic in this are part of like a potentially part of a a broader social dynamic that has a logic of its own that that perhaps leads us to bad things. Um but so Shadi, I mean, talk to me a little bit more. I just want to push you on this 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 you're a democrat thing because I I I I I'm I'm calling bullshit on you a little bit. Not okay. that, that not that you haven't <laughs> that you've fully broken with it, but but you're not. You're not. I'm not a democrat. I mean, you're probably registered as one. I mean, I may even be registered as one here because but, so you can vote for mayor and it matters for something. But you but can't. Like, but Demir, you you can't tell me that I'm not something that I am. That's like coming to me and saying that I'm not like a real Muslim or something. I mean, sort of. <laughs> but but like on what grounds? Like lay that out for me. How? What makes you think I'm not a Democrat? Well, okay. Uh, I think that ultimately, um, it's uh, well again. Sure. What's a Democrat, I guess, is the, is the main thing. Wait, and and well, it's I, you're, you're fighting for a certain kind of for a certain kind of direction and and uh, and thing. But but uh, I would say that that ultimately you aren't actually and this is why I think this conversation has so much promise. You are as as annoyed and alienated as as I am and as 
Aaron sounds like he is as well. So, I mean, at least in that sense, I would say that uh, if you still consider yourself a Democrat, you're going to have an awakening pretty soon, Shadi. That's all I'm getting at. And a, wait, like, what do you mean? Not an awakening. You're going to have an awakening when you're you're you find yourself on the street when you're finally like drummed out of the out of the out of the tent. They're going to drum me out, is what you're saying. I, I suspect they will. Okay, but look, here's the thing. First of all, um, the wokes are a small part of the party, and those of us who are in the tent, we are going to fight for the future of left politics, of democratic politics in America. And we're not going to go down without a fight. This is not the, this is, I mean, the, the standard bearer of our party is pretty unwoke. He's an old white guy who doesn't know any of the lingo and all that. So most, most normal Democrats who are not educated elites and not on Twitter, they're just normal people, some of them probably in labor unions, some of them probably like school teachers or something, and they just don't know what this woke stuff is about. I mean, my mom, is a, as we've talked about, is a loyal Democratic voter. She doesn't even know what the word woke means. And I suspect there's a lot of ordinary normie type Democrats who have no idea what we're talking about. This is not the Democratic Party. You were crushed when Biden won. I was crushed. You were crushed. Or sorry, not when Biden won, but when when <laughs> when your 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 communists lost. Yeah, and so, so and that's the point. I mean, how does Demir, that mean that I'm not? Yeah, no, 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 okay. Demir, can, I, on, can I just Hop offer on two in. points? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So for one, Shadi, the the guy who you supported, who I for the record like a great deal as a, at least as a person, and I like some of his ideas. He wasn't a registered Democrat for most of his career, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. So, so the guy who you most wanted to be the Democratic nominee really only was running as a Democrat because that would make it easier for him to win and make him more competitive. He, 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 he explicitly defined his career in opposition to the institutional Democratic Party. That's okay. point one. Okay. Point two is that I, I agree with what you're saying descriptively about the average Democrat not being woke. But I think you're making a bit of a leap in assuming that what the average Democrat believes is sort of is, – is constitutive of what the Democratic Party stands for. And, and the, the thought experiment I'd use or, or the counterexample is most people who are Republicans are not rich oil executives, right? Yep. Almost none are. But rich oil executives have quite a bit of influence in the Republican Party, and there is a very real sense in which the policies and the rhetoric of the Republican Party, you know, before Trump and even during Trump, were shaped by this incredibly small but very influential, powerful constituency within the party. I, I don't – if anything, I would think that wokeness has – there are more woke people in the United States and in the Democratic Party than there are oil execs in the Republican Party. And many of those people are the Democrats kind of more wealthy and more influential donors. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, my parents are Biden supporters, too, who are like they, they don't give a shit about the woke stuff. But my parents also don't write legislation. And, and that's what worries me. That's a that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, but but what's your team, Shadi? And I, again, I, I'm not saying this just to sort of like 
uh, go on about this, even though you know we should get to the article soon. I think it's really is tied to it, though, because okay. ultimately the reason why I think that that Aaron's article is quite good, even though you're right, as you pointed out in Twitter ahead of this episode, that that in fact you and I in our debate uh, about that essay, whatever, we come out in a different place than Aaron, and I I, I want to talk to Aaron about that too. Um, but ultimately, I think the three of us, maybe I'm I'm being uh, too. Uh, uh, generous or or, or uh, presumptuous uh, in in saying this, but I, I think in the reason I, I like both of you and I, I, I consider you my friends is that <laughs> is that you're 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 kind of homeless. You kind of have like a, a healthy disdain for a lot of these institutions. So that's why I know you're trolling because you're Shadi Hamid to say that like it's team sports and you're on team this or that, but you're not really. I mean, as far as I know, you you have a, a you have a suspicion that you're you're you're. You're not happy about team sports. And again, just to, to say why, why this is important is because one way to read Aaron's essay um, is to talk about the fact that the, the perils of sort of team sport thinking in politics and as this sort of spins out of control where this leads you. Um, now, again, uh, I don't know, Soshadi, just react to that and then like take us into your, your, your sort of unhappinesses with Aaron's essay. Okay. Well, I, I, I do want to clarify that I am not trolling when I say that I think about these things in terms of teams. Now, I don't play team sports, so there could be a misunderstanding about what teams do. Um, so the sport that I played in high school was primarily tennis, which, you know, as I think many of you know, there's only one person on the team, me. Or doubles. <laughs> I did not play. Well, I did play a little bit of doubles early on. But um, so... Look, I mean, I think every team, every group, let's say, and this could apply to a business, a committee, whatever, you need people on that committee who are heterodox, who challenge the groupthink. And what I want to do with my own side, the left side of the spectrum, is to call out people who I think are taking my side in a problematic direction. I think all of us have a responsibility to focus on our own sides, on our own teams or tribes or whatever, and say, hey, we got to look inward here. We got to be self-critical. So when people say, hey, Shadi, you're criticizing these woke leftists all the time. Why aren't you freaking out about Trump? Well, first of all, that should be a given that already we know Trump is bad. So I don't think it's intellectually interesting to dwell on that point excessively because it would just be stating the obvious. But also, it's not really my job as a non-Republican and as, and as a non-Trump supporter to be like focused on that. And I, that's what I find very odd that I find that most of the folks on the left on Twitter, they're obsessed with Trump, which seems to be like an odd political choice to me in terms of how we expend our intellectual energy. And also it's incredibly boring. But apparently, as I have found out, it's incredibly lucrative that people who have made Trump their obsession are now rich people. Because apparently there's a constituency for reading all these books about how Trump is evil. So go figure. I guess I'm not in line with the mood. But I mean, that's sort of how I view teams is that um, you need this a couple self-critical people on your team. OK, to lead into the article, though, um, I would maybe want to. And it's, it's interesting how we sort of talked around the article. So obviously we've raised expectations tremendously where now people are like, oh, my God. This article is probably going to be the best article ever. True. I mean, it's probably not the best article ever. <laughs> Go on. In my opinion. But I will say this. I loved reading it. 
And it was, it's an absolute joy to experience Aaron's pro style because he inserts these little jokes, but they're not obviously jokes, but because I sort of know Aaron a little bit, I know that he's like, there's a really funny, uh, I can't even like replicate it. Just go read it. We'll include a link in our show notes. But what I, what I would like before I tell you guys what I think is maybe Aaron, give us the 30 second to one minute summary. (laughs) of your article what like if you want to sum up like what are you trying to tell us uh maybe it could be like a minute and a half like Um, not 30 seconds or whatever i thought this isn't the whole thing but i thought perhaps the most important point from it that wesley yang highlighted on twitter in language that was frankly better than my language was that uh catastrophizing about nazism and communism or just you know the far right and the far left, uh, can paradoxically uh, bring about that which one is trying to preempt, and that the Weimar Republic is in fact a paradigm case of that happening. Because, you know, you wouldn't think this, but there actually was a lot of irrational catastrophizing in the Weimar Republic about fascism and communism. It wasn't irrational in the sense that there was no threat, as we all know, there was a threat. But both sides essentially saw everyone who disagreed with them as completely illegitimate. And the far left called the social democrats in Germany, who were like the sort of establishment center left party, the social fascists. And in some cases even said that they were a bigger threat uh, to communism than the National Socialists. And to clarify, and, this is happening in the 20s and, and yeah, early 30s. Yeah, yeah. And and on the right, you had a similar dynamic where uh, everyone to the left of the right was seen as, as evil and liberalism was anathematized as this horrible, corrupt order. Um, and both sides, though for very different reasons, essentially thought that the republic itself was illegitimate. Um, The communists wanted something far more radical. The conservatives wanted to go back to something that clearly could not be recreated, um, but they were fine with a, what they called a conservative revolution to get rid of the republican rot and install something more aristocratic and ordered um, and less kind of degenerate and corrupt. Uh, So you had a scenario in which both sides regarded the republic and the constitutional order as illegitimate and regarded each other as illegitimate, and the result was a kind of polarization cycle um, that eventually made it, if not inevitable, then certainly very probable that the whole thing was going to either just fall apart into chaos or that one side or the other was going to just decisively win and take absolute power. Um, and, of course, that is what ended up happening, and it was bad. Um, but For those of you who don't know what Aaron's referring to, I think he's referring to the rise of the Nazis. <laughs> yes, yes. But but what, what, what often gets left out of this, I think, not so much in the historiography, but in the, in the popular remembrance of Weimar, is that there really was a communist threat that a lot of people were responding to. Um, and 
if the communists implausibly had managed to beat all the right-wing forces allayed against them, and, and the right in Germany, unlike in America, had a decisive sort of cultural advantage um, over the left, but assume that the communists had somehow managed to overcome all of that, these were, these were not good people. These were violent Stalinists who, in fact, parroted uh, anti-Semitic rhetoric in order to compete electorally with the Nazis, um, and were, you know, constantly starting riots and in some cases even cooperating with the Nazis to start riots, um, you know, against the social democratic controlled police. This was a very unhealthy, divided society. And you really, in retrospect, would not have wanted either the far left or the far right to win. Um, you know, the, 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 the essence of it for me is again uh, this question of 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 ultimate legitimacy of something, and then uh, the kind of righteousness of politics. And this is, I mean, you know, the sort of challenge to Chantal Mouffe and you know Shadi's favorite agonism. Basically, I mean, I don't think Shadi, you disagree with any of this. Ultimately, though, is that like if you don't have that, or I don't think even Chantal Mouffe uh, disagrees with. It, if you don't have that that overarching legitimacy in which to couch. The kind of of, of contested politics, it, it all comes apart, and and you know what I liked about the your telling of it, Aaron. Even though I do think that that uh, I mean, there's we can disagree about you know the, the analysis of the current moment. Maybe that's where Shadi's going to head, but it's it's the fact that uh, again, um, this is there are no real heroes in this, and you know I I was um, uh, for like a, a different telling of this period. Uh, I I forget the name of Sherry Berman's book, but, you know, she talks about the rise of social democracy and she talks about basically, you know, uh, the mellowing of that sort of, you know, uh, 19th century um, rise of, um, uh, you know, the the sort of like the the hard-believing communists and how that over time and, you know, through the crucible of World War II and into the 20th century developed into this sort of bedrock of, 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 uh, of you know European left partyism, but I, I think her telling really does a disservice to this, and I think it's her telling is actually kind of uh, hegemonic in a lot of ways that people look at this period as they they work backwards from Hitler, they see that that you know the 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 unique horrors of the Nazi regime, and therefore uh, even impute a certain kind of um, decency and goodwill to those that stood against Hitler, even if they were communists. And I, I, I think that, that that misses that point. I think that's the, the most powerful point. And, you know, uh, to me, that's the main lesson of the essay for today's moment. There's too many people who are far too self-satisfied about themselves. And in fact, I mean, that's one of those things in our, in our little back and forth shoddy that, that like it like really sort of came to me is that, is that you know, these people, these resistance folks – I'm not saying, you know, that 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 they are some sort of er cause to all of this, but you know, they they're very much enabled by by Trumpism and they're very much reacting to it. But but they are are I don't know, equally is is some sort of measurement, but they are toxic. They are a toxic force to our republic. I think I think Aaron's essay gets at that dynamic really well. That in fact you know, insofar as like what's happening in our politics, not necessarily writ large in our republic, but in our politics, is this sort of self-reinforcing um, righteous uh, thing? And and 
being as it's overlaid on uh, sort of a period of delegitimation of the broader narrative, I think there's 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 something to be worried about. And I think that's where Aaron like sort of hits it on the head. Yeah, and I think that so the first half of the article and it, it it's a long essay with a lot of ideas packed in, um, which is part of what makes it a, a really great piece to engage with. I think that the analysis of the Weimar moment was actually fascinating. Quite a few things that I wasn't, you know, fully aware of in terms of the sequence of events and the role of the communists, for example. Um, I guess my issue is the application of Weimar's lessons to American politics. And I was trying to think about like why I just couldn't get on board with the more speculative parts in, in the second half of the piece. And I think it's, my ideological priors don't allow me to be comfortable with most historic analogies. I don't like it when people bring up Germany in any period in the first half of the 20th century to talk about American politics today. So I think I have a sort of instinctual re recoil when I see the analogizing extended too far and um, I think part of the reason, you know, a big part of that is really simple. The U.S. is just completely different in every contextual factor. And that makes it very hard to make comparisons. It's interesting as a sort of speculative thought exercise. But so, for example, um, and this is something that I think people don't realize enough, is that there has never been an old established democracy that turned into an authoritarian regime, except in certain cases of foreign war or occupation. So in other words, it's literally never happened before. So unless there's an unusual like World War III type situation, it would be quite literally unprecedented for America to follow in interwar Germany's footsteps. Now, I suppose there's always a first case that could emerge, but um, it just seems so unlikely that to sort of belabor the analogy, I, I feel like it creates a sense of doom and danger that is actually not, you know, not there. What I, and the other thing I would say is not only is America a consolidated democracy where Weimar Germany was only like, 20, you know, Germany only had about like 25 years of democratic experience or something like that. So it was a very young and therefore fragile democracy. The other thing is that, and this is where I think your article is really good, Aaron, is the importance of founding and creed, that Weimar did not have a clear founding. It had dueling foundings and different sides of the political spectrum disagreed on what the founding moment was. Thankfully, the something that the U.S. has, first of all, it's a creedal nation, so um, it's not based on ethnicity it's based on ideology or ideas to 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 some extent at least um, but also that we have a clear founding moment at least we have up until quite recently that isn't really contestable and even people who contest and try to say well it's not just 1776 it's also 1619 there's a way of incorporating the 1619 version of America's history and sort of making it a complement to 1776. In theory, you can do that. Um, but for the most part, people understand that there's an American idea that came about. There was a certain historical evolution, a certain set of founders, founding documents, um, 
we have our own national scripture, if you will, our constitution and our declaration of independence, the Federalist Papers. That's a much stronger founding moment upon which to base a nation than anything Germany had. So those are two fundamental differences where I feel however bad things are getting in the U.S., we have certain built-in advantages that make any kind of disintegration quite unlikely. And here I would just say for the full version of this argument, Demir and I did a sort of back and forth debate, but it's not fully a debate because we kind of agree. So you can find it on the website. It's called Whatever, nice single word title, where we say, we both of us, I think, to one degree or another, we say that this Trump era might end with a collective sigh and a kind of shrugging of the shoulders, and it'll feel very anticlimactic where it's just like, oh, this is it? Oh, cool. That the world never ended. It didn't get really bad. We're going to muddle through. We're going to figure this out. If Biden wins, which seems likely, then um, people will stop freaking out for the most part, at least for a few months, and then they'll find things to freak out about in six months. But we'll find a way to get through it. And we'll just be like, hey, Life goes on. Hit it, Aaron. Hit it. Okay. Okay. Um, there's a lot there. So let me try to sort of respond point by point. Well, <laughs> first, first, first things first, I just would, would say that while I agree with you, Biden is probably going to win. What it, I mean, if Trump wins, you yourself wrote an article saying the Democrats might not be able to concede. So if you think that that's true, you yourself are committed to the view that there is, say, like a 10 to 12% chance, depending on what Nate Silver's forecast is today, you yourself are committed to the view that there's a 10 to 12% chance of, you know, a major political party refusing to concede and going nuts. And, you know, that's, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that that's going to be the end of democracy, but I, I totally I think it I think you are right in that article to say it it's quite plausible that the Democrats will not be able to see a second term of Trump as legitimate. And that's gonna, I think, lead to a kind of an acceleration of the delegitimation that's already been going on um, on the left, and that's not going to be good. Um, you know, not good doesn't mean collapse. I agree. But that's also a pretty low bar, right? Like, oh, well, we won't, we won't collapse. Like, okay, great. Like, you know, that's a lot, a lot of, I mean, you know, we, I mean, we're not going to have a civil war, but it's worth noting. I mean, the civil war happened and then we were fine after it and the country moved in a better direction overall. It was still a horrible civil war that like killed hundreds of thousands of people and, you know, was, was shook the nation to its core. Okay, but Aaron, survived, even, even Shadi's right? not calling that it's going to be a civil war. He's just worried about no, the legitimacy question, which is but, fair. But I think I, that's, a, that's a good point, but go on. Yeah, no, I, I know. But I, but my point is just, you know, you can... I, I, think it's, I think it's sort of unfair to say, well, like, we're not going to end up like Weimar. Like, well, okay, but that's... I mean, that's like... that. We're not going to have the worst possible outcome. Right, right. Which is good. You know, yeah, that, it's, yeah, it's good. That's but kind it's, of but it's, an important thing to say. It, it is. So I agree it's an important thing to say, but I also think often there can be a kind of complacency that comes when you make 
and this is a critique I have of of the left, you know, too, and not or it's it's a critique I have of both sides. But just when you know when you when you either start bringing in the Hitler analogies in the way that the resistance does, or the Soviet Union analogies in the way that the kind of you know more uh, Rod Dreyer type conservatives do, you know, it, it, I think it just distorts the sense of proportionality, both in that that it can make you catastrophize, but also in that it. It, it it can in a certain sense set the bar so low that you know anything less than Soviet Union or uh, Nazi Germany are like oh well you know we're fine but but no I mean that that shouldn't be the normative bar by which we sort of evaluate society um, yeah but, I mean but, but hold on Aaron I mean yeah. to me to me that that's you know I I. Uh... I think normative bar is something I don't really care about ultimately because that's going to be shifting. That's just like the nature of politics ultimately also, I think. So, you know, whether we're fine or not, what I liked about the essay and I think where, where Shadi's critique maybe I, 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 I depart from is that, that I don't think you really um, at any point, I think you're quite careful to say that in fact we're not Weimar. And, no, uh, I know. That, and for all the reasons right, that, that right. Shadi delineated there – uh, I think you, 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 I think pretty deftly dispatched right. that argument saying right. that in fact, we are an advanced democracy. We haven't lost the war. It's not all of it. But, but, but here's the thing, Aaron. I mean, the, the thing, the thing that, and it's, this is why I was also pushing you earlier on the, the question of whether you're on the right or not. I didn't say on the right, whether you're conservative, yeah, sure. but it's, it's, it is interesting to me, the extent to which I've seen so many of my friends, especially ones that work in more avowedly conservative institutions. It's that sense, and Shadi, you and I have talked about this, that sense of, of being besieged in some way. And, and then therefore seeing like a, a, a bigger threat from this sort of, you know, cultural leftism being everywhere and squelching things and, and, and changing things in a big way. Um, this is why I, 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 I do sort of stand by the, the whatever side of it. I, I think like a lot of this sort of leftist excess will just sort itself out because it's so silly. It's so stupid. Like specifically just on, on the race issue and like Black Lives Matter, ultimately it boils down to some kind of like cheesy um, like self-help kind of morality, right? It's just like basically it's, it's, it's both like a, a, a tawdry secularized – religious thing where you like atone visibly atone for your sins but then you're done no one has any oh i mean no thinking person can possibly think that anything having to do with with that sort of like anti-racism of the the ibrahim x candy variety will solve anything so in that sense even there that's a self-defeating thing because people are gonna are gonna are going to uh, feel bad about things only for so long. And then after they've, they've absolved themselves and publicly, you know, uh, uh, gone to the efforts of, of, of confessing their sins, they're going to be like, I did that already. And shit's still fucked up. So again, do you know what I mean? Like that element of the rights worries about the excesses of the left. I think that's just going to correct well, I itself. Guess, I, I guess my, my, my partial rejoinder would be look at the history of sort of, millenarian uh sort of social movements in the united states and ask yourself you know i mean look in a trivial sense you could say they all sorted themselves out in the sense that none of them was permanent sure 
um, and in the sense that the excesses eventually went away. Sure, but you know there were there were people who believed in actual witches and and burned them, and there were people who, under the influence of a kind of millenarian Protestant extremism, you know, supported all sorts of social causes, some of which were good, some of which weren't, but which all, you know, it, which which in certain cases had teeth behind them, either the, the teeth of the state or the teeth of sort of the culture and just other non-state forms of coercion. But, you know, I, I don't buy that just because wokeness is self-evidently stupid to you or I that it's not going to become influential and it's not going to capture certain institutions and bureaucracies that have the capacity to inflict um, some kind of material punishments on people. I agree that it's not going to be like the Soviet Union or anything like that. Um, but again, that's why I was pushing that that's sort of not a fair bar to use because I think it is a problem if you can be fired for – I mean, look, Demir, what you just said about Ibram Kendi, there are places that would fire you instantly if you said that. You're very lucky that you don't work at one, and I <laughs> and I, and, I, and, and look, I, I think that – you know, if you're on the right, you, you know, in sort of conservative media or think tank world, yeah, you're not going to be fired for saying that. And I doubt that the majority of people who say that in their workplace will be fired. But at will employment, coupled with, you know, woke HR departments and the worries about lawsuits, I mean, it just takes a few bad examples for everyone to be really scared of this and to not want to contradict it and for there to be a kind of soft, you know, Tocquevillian despotism that seeps into a lot of institutions. Isn't this um, what America is ultimately, though? Like this, like, overweeningly oh, Protestant oh, it's culture deeply, that always... No, like, no, no, it's deeply so, American, but, you know, but you know, I would... But that, thing, to Aaron, me, that just proves the point that it's a real threat. Nah, it's American. It's America <laughs> as apple pie. And here's the thing. Like, I mean, I think that the main error in that analogy is yeah. that is that my job is to actually do what I'm doing right now. And yeah, sure, if I worked in like some sort of like middle management, I'd watch what I say. But guess what? Like, you know, I, I've I've said this to both of you, I think, in different in different times. If I like uh am am visibly drunk and and like walking around the the public square um masturbating like Jeffrey Tubin like in public <laughs> i i deserve to lose my job you know That's what i mean like, comparable to being unwoke how i mean yeah kind of is it's it's called manners it's just like sort of social mores and stuff like that and i think manners no, but, ultimately but, are not controlled by but, ideology but these are and they're not controlled by ideology. And the, the sense problem, it's just like these things shift. But the problem is that if the manners – the problem with this is that what you're defining as manners have ideological content. Now, maybe you could say all manners do in some sense, but I, I do think that comparatively this set of manners is uh, – can't be defined without reference to particular ideological propositions. And I don't know, like – to me, it, right, there's a difference between saying, you know, cover your mouth when you, while you chew, right? Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a, that's a, that is manners, right? And that's, that's fine. It has some normative weight. But that's not the same kind of thing as saying, oh, it's just, you know, it's just 
impolite and something you don't do to, you know, question the 1619 project. Well, I mean, no, I think these are very different kinds of things. And I, I am okay with sort of arbitrary dining customs, but I'm not okay when that kind of dining custom model is then used kind of as a tool to silence ideological dissent under the guise of mannerisms. Who's, gotten fired, who's gotten fired for questioning 1619, though? <laughs> well, I mean, what was the case of – okay, I mean, that's that's a bit of an extreme example. But there are tons of cases. I think Yasha Monk uh, yeah, Demir, there is, put together I – mean, there, there are a bunch of cancel culture examples of people who got in trouble because they weren't sufficiently in line with the yeah. new discourse. The, I mean, first, that, the first one I heard of, for what it's worth, was – I think her name was Justine Sacco – who tweeted a joke that was meant to be criticizing kind of Western complacency about AIDS, but was taken out of context so people thought that she was making fun of people in Africa who had AIDS, when in fact the point of the joke was the opposite. And she lost her job, and it happened immediately overnight while she was on an airplane and didn't have internet. Because of oh, how yeah, fast right. this, this moved. Was a, she was a Biden appointee. Oh, and, she was and, a Obama appointee, right? No, no, no. It, no, no, no. She just like worked no, at like a private company. She was like company. a random person with yeah. like 100 followers. And that's, and that's the danger, right? It's it's the <sighs> random people who are not high profile. And like and David the fact, Shore, And the fact remember? that you hear high profile cases <laughs> and the fact that there are sort of high profile cases where this happens, like say – you know, James Bennett or whatever, the fact that it can happen to people who seem to be pretty well entrenched in, you know, institutions. I have no sympathy for Bennett. Well, (laughs) I mean, I don't really either. But but the point, the point is that the more the the fact that it happens to a few high profile people, it it probably happens much more to people who aren't high profile and don't enjoy the advantages. I've made this case before, and I do want to get back to the Weimar thing, so I think it's actually productive. But, like, I do want to just say one thing. Part of this is this, like, weird distortion of Twitter. And part of it is this idea, again, that's just, like, you can go on Twitter and run your mouth as if it doesn't matter, as if you're just talking, like, me and you here, like, shoddy me and you – uh, Aaron are uh, like hitting around, sitting around, like uh, you know, having dinner and having conversation. In fact, no, we're recording this and we're going to put, put uh, publish it on the internet. So, in fact, you know, I, everything I say on this, you know, even the the, the sort of more you know uh, provocative things, I have that in the back of my mind. Too many people, I think, treat Twitter as if they're not. And in fact. You know, if you are not a public personality and you're running your mouth, I think the the, the analogy of of a, a, you know, a, a public drunk actually is correct because we do have standards for these sorts of things about what your behavior should be. And if you reflect poorly on your company and if your job is not to be out in public, there's no reason why you have – you certainly have no right to be running your mouth in public. That's But, that's, to, but that's, to me, that's arbitrary. That's the problem. I don't disagree in principle with what you're saying, but the problem is – the standards that we're discussing are basically arbitrary to be decided by one ideological group rather than the other, and it's not consistently applied. And so people can say absurd things that are on the woke side of the spectrum, and they won't get penalized in their jobs because they're on the right side of history. And people who say something which would have been innocuous three years ago find themselves in a different situation. I don't like it when people feel a need to suppress their inner thoughts. Obviously, there are extreme examples of like outright white supremacy, but most of the, most of what people say 
uh, it falls somewhere in between. And I don't want a society where people, every time they go in the public arena, feel like they have to hide their true ideological or political preferences. That's the kind of world that we're getting into, especially if you're on the left, because you want to be invited to like, I don't know, Zoom calls or dinners or happy hours or whatever. And if you say the kinds of things that I say, luckily, I have a group of friends that indulge me and and encourage me. But a lot of people don't. And I think one and I think people are sometimes impressed where they're like, Shadi, we wish you we wish we could say what you say. Well, first of all, they're white, so they can't. But that's also indicative of the problem that because I have brown protection, I can say things that they can't. But all of this gets to the point that people are hiding their true commitments. And we don't want to live in a society like that. Yeah, seems temporary to me. And 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 unsustainable, I guess, is where I'll just sort of end on the woke thing. I mean, we've been here before, but that to me just seems like one of those things that that sorts itself out because because just like Catholic integralism has absolutely no traction in this society. And it's just like a a silly little like passing thing. So so that same thing with 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 Kendi and the rest of his ilk. That's just not true. Wait, 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 Tamir. Kendi's book is being peddled by every major fortune 500 company being assigned in countless k through 12 schools that is not true of adrian vermule no sure fine but it was true of like thomas friedman too and he's also like in the same sort of you know yeah, irrelevant and, and thomas, category and thomas, yeah now but you know thomas friedman's worldview i think became pretty influential and helped uh you know, influence and then justify the decision to invade Iraq. I would disagree with that. Um, that's, that's just that's just that's also as American as apple pie, and it's a, it's okay. a it's a deeply a deeply no, 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 rooted but, but problem the, with the, America. The point, but the point, but the point is that the point is that Thomas Friedman's worldview was pretty influential among some people with power. You don't. It's not necessarily that Tom Friedman did it. You know, I don't know what causal role he had if any but he was probably more a reflection of a set of assumptions that captured certain levers of power and then things happened and you know it because people had this kind of globalized you know view of the world and this very sort of you know naive faith in progress and globalization and you know it's a cliche but that's how you got trump right well right so so i mean let me just then you know, since we're coming up in an hour, but let me Sorry. just sort of try. No, it's good. It's good. But let me just sort of try and like wrap this up and not wrap it I up. Have all but, day. Like, I wanna... but, but put us but put us yeah. on this sort of grounding here. Um, look, what was resonant to me about the piece, and I'm surprised, Shadi, that it didn't resonate as much with you, is that I think it, it provided the kind of good historical analogy for why Shadi, I think you and I and Aaron have like a healthy contempt for the resistance because the resistance styles itself as, quite frankly, also very much in that historical analogy of, you know, uh, we're opposing the ultimate evil. They don't understand that, in fact, uh, there's 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 a larger narrative to this. There's a much bigger narrative to how politics works and the logic of events. And there's a kind of of caricatured and 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 deeply stupid and moralizing way, like a sort of a, a pocket history of Weimar and Hitler's rise. I think Aaron's essay does a good job of dismantling and basically crapping on the heads of a lot of sort of self-satisfied schmucks. 
So that's that's my point. So, yeah. I, I, Shadi, what's your and what's your that, beef no, there? No, that's important, and I think that um, one of the the good takeaways from the piece is don't think of your opponents as enemies to be destroyed. Um, and once you start doing that, you create a sort of um, succession of events that you lose control over. So, yeah, I think that every single person on the left. Um, who thinks that conservatives are all evil, racist, or irredeemable. There is a real cautionary tale there. And I mean, my position has always been that all Americans, with the exception of 1% to 2% who are actual white supremacists, are within the family and within the fold. And none of them are deplorable. None of them are evil. And they are, they are, we, we can't look at them that way. And I, that, so in that sense, I, I 100% agree with at least one of the implications of of Aaron's piece. And I think there's also a saying, as a great philosopher once said, the perfect is the enemy. The, the, whatever don't, that don't is. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the Oh, good. yeah, yeah whatever the, that is. Yeah. Could I, could I, so could I just say a couple quick things about it? Hit it, hit it. Both? Okay. So, so Demir, I, w- I would say I think you're, you're right that that was a big part of the piece – but but I, I just think that if you actually take that to its logical conclusion, you should be a little more alarmed, not necessarily by Ibram Kendi himself. I mean, that's kind of a distraction, but, but by the fact that you do see a lot of people who are not really far left, but just I think are, are somewhat mainstream Democrats who will either explicitly or implicitly accuse their opponents of racism while also saying, as Joe Biden and the official Democratic Party platform says, that systemic racism, you know, has no place in our society and must be rooted out. There's a there is a tendency to see things like racism as kind of the the American version of fascism and the ultimate evil that then is coupled with this, I think, very sort of profligate usage of the term or sort of profligate insinuation of the term. And when you put that together, I do think you you get something that's a lot more serious than just a few crackpots like Ibram Kendi. I mean, look, like like when when Joe Biden says, I want to root out systemic racism, uh, in the abstract, sure, I don't want there to be systemic racism. But when you look at how in practice people tend to interpret that term and you couple it with the phrase, root it out. No, but see, I, I, th- I think this, this hits at it exactly for me, um, where I, why I'm just completely nonplussed by all of this and I, why I, I think that, you know, this is my real distancing from the right on this. I, I, I ultimately... Exactly. And you, you've caveated it throughout this episode, Aaron, that you don't feel like this is actually a soviet threat there isn't actually a stasi waiting to happen it's it's at best a sort of like weird passive thing and at best at best again aaron as you know from uh, what's the 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 various sort of uh immigrant creeds the book uh albion seed albion seed yeah exactly yeah. you know i mean this is this is straight up american is apple pie you know, uh, uh, scarlet letter sort of stuff. And it's, it's a spasm that, 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 that courses through the country. It's always there. It manifests as prohibition that also burns itself out. And ultimately it's, 
it's 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 a kind of puritanism that is against human nature and that's why puritanism right, is always but, an un, and it's always an unfinished sort of project but let me but let me but let me point out one just difference right those waves of puritanism were not the the, the object of their ire was not the country itself right I mean, maybe you can say, well, they saw sin as being entwined in America and they had to root out sin. Okay, yeah. But but they also saw America as a city on the hill, right? Arguably, the, arguably the, you know, strands of, 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 you know, people who are really into this sort of woke thing want to redeem the whole project. I, so and that's, I, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, your essay does a really good job there, again, of pointing out that the danger is to the delegitimation of the project. Yeah, because uh, without guess, the legitimation, you're screwed. Absolutely that's, agree that's there. That's the worry. That's the worry that uh, I guess. The, and again, we don't need to litigate this now. I just would say to put my sort of cards on the table, give it the most sympathetic rendering possible that, that I – I'm not all that concerned about this sort of American as apple pie puritanism in the abstract, and I'm not all that concerned about progressives having these puritanical elements. It's that the puritanical elements seem to now be targeting pretty important institutions and aspects of America itself. Um, it's, it's as if the puritanism has become a kind of autoimmune disorder – and that's that I think you can debate whether that's new, but I think there is at least a case to be made that that is not historically how the Puritanism has worked. And I, I know that there are woke people who will say we're just redeeming America. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's a little. My concern is that that's kind of like a rhetorical fl- flourish and it's not actually something they truly believe it's hard to know what's in people's hearts ultimately but um you know you wonder and maybe it's fine if they keep it inside that if they actually think the american idea and the project from the founding is actually illegitimate that to me is a serious risk if a critical mass of people stop believing in the founding creed because if we are a creedal nation then we need people to believe in the creed similar to like not to you know extend the metaphor too much but um, you could have a lot of disagreement in Islam or Christianity, which there is, but people have to still believe in the in the um, core requirements of the creed. So, you know, if you're Christian, you have to believe that Jesus is is divine, and if you're Muslim, you have to believe in the Quran as God's word. And if you don't, then it it all start, starts falling apart. And it's an interesting question. I mean, I think James Baldwin was the one who said that the reason that I criticize my country so vociferously is because I love it. And I think there's like an older school that still really held to that idea. And Martin Luther King was obviously a proponent of this, that America is great because it has the potential to be great in the future. I think there's a new crop of elites who, um, you know, went to top schools and work for top institutions and are quite privileged who don't believe in the American idea and want to burn it all down. They still might pay tribute to the idea of America, but I wonder what they really think and if they're in some sense dissimulating and engaging in double discourse. So for me, I guess what's where I come down on this is that I have – I have a lot of concerns about the righteous, and I have more sympathy for criticism up to a point than righteousness. 
So in a way, in a way, I am more put off, and this is, again, to come back to Aaron's essay on this, I, I'm much more put off by the hashtag resistance who feel, and as you and I acknowledged in our back and forth, Shadi, there's, there's a certain kind of love there. But to me, it's, it's, it's a kind of demented love of a, a sort of a half-understood idea and a set of ideas that underpin this country. That is the resistance to me. They don't get it. They, don't, they, they, think, they think they're representing some kind of virtue. Whereas wokeism, at least in this most sort of intellectual level, is a critique that I think dangerously veers to undermining a certain kind of glue for all of us. But ultimately, I don't mind a a vociferous critique as much as I mind and worry about righteousness. I worry about Max Boot and Jennifer Rubin a lot more because they they are the kind of they're not communists, they're they're all anti-communists, <laughs> but you know in the same sort of way they think they're fighting Hitler and that 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 they have these priors that are just purely righteous. In the same way, in the same way that communists felt that they were they had history at their back. Yeah. You know, that to me is the big thing here. And that to me is the the big uh, raised middle finger to a lot of these people that yeah. Aaron's essay represents. To me, why it's it's an interesting and important essay, uh, as opposed to uh, where, again, I, I think I part ways with you, Aaron. I think it's implicit in your essays, your worries about the left. I, I, I'm not that worried. But the strength of the essay stands despite that. Yeah, I mean, I would just say to that, since I've I've probably spent too much time criticizing the left, given that my essay is pretty even-handed, actually, or I'd like to think it is, criticizing the right, too, you know, I, I disagree very strongly with, I think, both sort of the Claremont, uh, West Coast Straussian support for Trump, and the Saurabh Amari, Adrian Vermeule, Patrick Deneen, post-liberalism, Catholic integralism stuff, because that all in its own way is just as righteous, I find, um, and just as uncritical as uh, the Ann Applebaums of the world. And A, I, I think I largely share your disposition that, you know, because it's not fundamentally advancing, I'm, well, I guess some of the post-liberal stuff is advancing a critique, but, you know, the, the, when when it turns into just kind of this mindless standing for Donald Trump, like Saurabh Amari signing some dumb declaration that's like, oh, you know, we are writers and intellectuals in support of Trump who's done an astonishingly good job. I mean, when I see that, A, it's just contemptible. And, and in, as far as I'm concerned, not all, but some of the people who signed that declaration, we should feel contempt for. Um, but B, you know, it's, it's, What's dangerous is I don't think they realize the extent to which they're empowering their enemies. Um, but and, but are but like, wait, wait but are they empowering their enemies? I mean I think that the this is a small group of people on the right so who have a distinctive not, not the post liberals but 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 the people who are supporting Trump I would say yes because I think that. Even if you even if you think that stuff's going to get worse under Biden, as I do, I think wokeness will not go away under Biden at all. But I, I just seems so obvious to me that the the persona and the grotesquerie of Donald Trump has been a huge propagandistic uh, gift to a lot of both the woke people and the Ann Applebaum resistance types and. 
and and I think they just aren't willing to admit that. Um, and they or they don't see it. No, and, they don't see it. It's not and, that they're. And it's, let me just say about Ann yeah. Applebaum. I mean, like I've, I've met her a few times. She was on the board of the American Interest. I, I mean, I I think I understand a lot of these Cold War liberals. I it's 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 a lack of self awareness. It's not like malevolence, and and that's the thing. I mean, actually, uh, in in the American Purpose, uh, the new thing you know that that Frank Fukuyama and Jeff Gedman are doing now that you published in they Josh Morovchik wrote a piece. Uh, reviewing the this book about never trumpers, he makes that that case very explicitly, and he himself, as as I think one of the the coterie of never trumpers, he's actually quite self aware of it. At the same time, he doesn't see a problem with it. It's it's he, he points out that in fact, yeah. most of the people who supported the Iraq War for moral reasons are the same people who are so deeply right. offended by Donald Trump. And you know, I mean, I think that's correct. And the 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 important thing here is that the blind spot of moralizing about these things is the worst thing. And this gets me back to why I was so annoyed at you, Shadi, earlier when you were talking about team sports and and all sorts of things about this. Because if you don't have that skepticism, and I think, okay, whatever, if if you're just someone whose bread and butter is like working, um, Again, as middle management in some in some company somewhere, you've got a family, you've got mouths to feed. Politics is something you 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 know maybe do as sport, and you know you consider yourself as a Democrat, and you get energized about this or that issue. You do politics like that, but I think as far as people who technically you know whatever the hell we're doing for a living, that if you're if you're that uncritical and that openly moralizing about it, and that not self skeptical. You are a menace, an absolute menace. Yeah. And and it's it's that's for me is like the the never Trumpers I'm not saying that 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 uh you know again like this sort of thing could possibly exist without Trump. Clearly the 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 er cause of it is Trump, but it is interesting how it maps onto another a whole different tendency in this country which is just I think is 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 brought a lot of misery to this country and and has has in fact helped create this moment that Trump has taken advantage of. Well, I think so. I'll just say like I think that one thing that the three of us all share is that we sort of have <clears throat> a misanthropy that yeah. that leads us to not like most people. And I think that we look at a lot of like normal people on Twitter. So for example, like even if I like look at my feed right now, like most people suck and most people are hacks. And most people don't have principles, but it's also it's not that they're violating principles. It's that they don't believe that someone should have co- a coherent set of principles beyond, you know. So we actually, Demir and I were talking about this on a on a group chat earlier, that he seems to be, you know, disappointed by the fact that um, there's a lot of journalists who act like activists. But the thing is, there are a lot of journalists who feel that like their print, their overarching principle <clears throat> is defeating Donald Trump. And if that means being dishonest about their coverage or not being balanced about their coverage, they can justify that morally. And even I have people and I won't name names who say shaddy, like we agree with like your, your last couple of Atlantic articles, but do you really have to write this before an election? Can't you wait until after the election? That everything has to be like any kind of thing that might hurt your own side. Because for them, 
getting rid of Trump is the because they don't have an ideology. Most people don't care about ideas. And so for them, the only thing they can direct their energy towards is getting rid of Trump. That's the be all end all. So let's excavate this one other thing. And maybe since, you know, we've gone over the hour, let's go another 15 minutes. Aaron, another 15 minutes. You can do it. Aaron, here's the question for you. We've had these debates about morality. Uh Talk to me a little bit about about the role of morals here, because ultimately, for me, this is where I I think depart from so many people's that I'm, I'm I, I I I I feel like a lot of this is 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 uh, this kind of weird, almost rhetorical superstructure where where we we end up justifying things to ourselves uh, with sort of shorthand, but but to me, ultimately, that's that's the the big danger. I I. I I end up identifying people who moralize about these things as as the true, really dangerous people. And again, I, I, I and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think that the wokes aren't moralizing it in the same way as as the resistance people. Um, Talk to me about that. Well, I think that the wokes and the resistance people are both moralizing but they're moralizing about slightly different things and they have a different moral code. I'd say that they're both sort of equally puritanical, um, but they uh, but they but they have different concepts of Satan. Maybe that's the way to put it. Um, and there's some overlap, obviously, both the resistance and the woke think Donald Trump is is Satan, but <laughs> but, but you know, there's but but no, look, I mean like the the really hard left, you know. Kendi identity politics types. There's 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 a lot more that they see as satanic than say I think Ann Applebaum sees. You know you don't want to overstate the, the agreement, but but I, I think are, are you asking more about just sort of a, a broader second order question about is morality dangerous and sort of is is this moralizing spirit in American politics bad? Arguably, it's unavoidable. I mean, yeah, Shadi, right. you and I, you and I have talked about this a lot, right? I mean, it's the sense that that you know, again, it's this sort of secularized religion, and and that 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 ends up being like a a, a key element to it. But well, th- well, this is literally the purpose of religion because if there is actually Satan um, in in the netherworld or wherever he may be, as like a you know a meta as a real or metaphorical existence, like you don't need to find devils in the same way in the temporal world. And this is where I feel like the religious impulse, which Americans seem to have in, in very heavy doses compared to some of our counterparts. But if we can't direct that energy towards traditional religion or God and the devil and an afterlife and thinking beyond this world, we have to direct that energy into everyday activity including politics so we're, we're taking what should be so here's the thing i mean not to go into this too much and demir you'll, you'll be familiar with some of this from some of my recent writing but um that religion allows us to postpone until the next life we can say hey not everything is here life is at, life quite literally is elsewhere or will be elsewhere if you don't have that and you have a completely secular framework that is devoid of God, you have no choice but to basically do what religion does. And that means punishing and judging. But in this case, you punish and judge your fellow citizens because there is no religious super, super superstructure, yeah. which would normally provide that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, that's right. That's why we need religion. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, are I, you no, religious? I, no, I'm not. I mean, yeah. so, that's how do, so how do you feel about this? As someone who isn't religious, but you do you do agree with that basic that that basic uh, analysis? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it seems largely true that you you know you need something um, beyond the here and now, um, and I and you certainly should not make your sort of ultimate end politics. That's very bad. Um, now, whether you need to make it religion in the kind of conventional sense, I, I'm not sure. Um, but hold on. But I think that there's an interesting way to, to think about this, right? Is my instinct completely wrong to say that, that, that wokeism is more grounded in the American faith Maybe it misunderstands the American faith, but it's grounded in it in a way that, well, no, I, I guess the resistance is grounded in an understanding of the American faith as well. But it, it's it's not as reflective. It, I, I, to me, that the, that's the key. Okay, the key, sure. The key to the resistance mindset, the key to the whole like never Trump movement, which I find, which is why I found myself in the last four years fighting it so so much in, in you know, whether it's it's on social media or writing essays, sort of trying to dismantle the, the strongest points of this, is that is that whereas the wokes make no case as to, you know, Donald Trump being the sort of, you know, some sort of weird aberration, in a way, what I what I, I think that that why I'm less offended by this whole sort of woke movement is they say they look at Donald Trump and they say, oh, yeah, America, sure, I recognize it. And that's correct. Donald Trump is America. It's it's this kind of it's this kind of desire to you know, set up America as some sort of perfection project as opposed to, you know, a country. But I, that, but I think... Yeah, go on. Okay, but but I think that, that that's true, and to some extent I share your kind of anti-anti-woke sympathies insofar as you're right. The, the more intellectual ones do see Trump as just an expression of pre-existing kind of american distinctives and that all else equal that is a more correct nuanced view of him than what the resistance say i agree yeah um i think the problem is that uh the woke people see donald trump as the kind of exhaustive expression of america and say this that he is sort of a not just maybe an important part of it or represents an important part of it which is undeniable but that he represents the truth the dominant yeah, yeah and, I and agree. that and you know to be honest right i, I think look i find i and I, I get why people find him funny and charismatic in his own way but but at his worst moments and and i think we can all agree he has had some moments that are just kind of ugly yeah um and he is an ugly person and a morally bad human being well before he became president if you thought that he was the perfect expression of america i don't understand how you could not want some kind of revolution i mean if that's all there is to this country of course you would want to overthrow it i mean it makes total sense and that's why i guess i'm not maybe quite as 
complacent about it as you in some ways in some ways this makes it better to mirror intellectually it's more intellectually respectable because it's closer to the truth to see him as an expression of you know part of the country that's that's better than the resistance which sees him as a total aberration it's intellectually more respectable but politically and sociologically i think it may be more dangerous or at least it's as dangerous because the conclusion the logical conclusion of that is revolution and the logical conclusion of seeing him as an aberration is going back to a series of very misguided policies that we shouldn't go back to but which would not be as bad as i think giving the woke just carte blanche over the entire american state so that's i guess what i would say like i i like shoddy and i think you in different ways i really do not want to go back to the world the never trumpers are defending i think it's you know bad and and i i really well, it never existed but... yeah it, it's it's ideal also but I, but i also think that you know the reality is that their vision for america of all the ones that are out there it's certainly not the best but it's also not the worst and and for what it's worth i mean because I do want to be even-handed, I, I mean, I think the idea, for example, that's floated around Claremont that we're going to just get rid of the administrative state and that that's tyranny, I think that's every bit as puritanical and idealized and far-fetched as what the Never Trumpers are arguing for and, and frankly probably would be worse if we actually did it and much more disruptive um, than sort of going back to just like 1990s you know, Clinton-era third-way politics, um, which is really in practice what a lot of the never-Trumpers want. Um, on the other hand, you know, yeah, so so I mean, I, I, I guess I'm not trying to defend the never-Trumpers, but I just do think it's worth asking kind of what is the logical conclusion of everyone's views and what do they want? And wanting something that you can't go back to that was kind of bad anyway, that's not good and it shouldn't be the goal, but wanting to go back to pre-New Deal America, I mean, that's more ridiculous, and that would probably be worse if we really tried it. And likewise, going to, you know, post-liberal left, you know, Department of Anti-Racism America, not that that's going to happen, but I mean, I think that would be a lot worse than what the Never Trumpers want, too. And so I do think it's important to ask, like, what do these people want? And if you had to choose gun to your head, who would you choose? And I mean, I I think too here, there's this dynamic where often what would be best for the country is at variance or at odds with what who would be the most fun to hang out with, right? <laughs> no, I, but I, I'm completely serious. Like, like I, I think I would worry a lot more about Catholic integralist Adrian Vermeule getting his way than I would about Max Boot, especially given what Adrian Vermeule has said about the Mortara case and the state's right to right, take right. Jews away. Right? right. So I would I would choose Max Boot over Adrian Vermeule because I don't want the state to take my kid for any reason. Right? Who I, I don't have, by the way, but if I did. Right? But 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 who but who but who do you think would be more fun to hang out with and talk to? No, but Shadi, go ahead. I mean, what are you okay, going to say? I, mean, I, I I do have to go. Yeah, take us <laughs> out from here. <laughs> but look, I think that what's great about America too is that you can't actually realize your ideological objectives. So I feel like it's almost beside the point to say 
well, what if a Catholic integralist got their way and was able to realize their ideal state? That's an impossibility. So I feel like it's a weird... That's why I can't get worked up about Adrian Vermeule and Sorab the the way that you are. And I sometimes, you know, I feel like they're offering a helpful critique. And if you look at it as a critique of liberalism, you can see some value in it. If like you woke. take it like the woke, shoddy. <laughs> but anyway, go the on. The woke actually can control cultural institutions and actually wield power over people's lives. I just don't really see how that's going to happen with uh, an unusual Catholic theocrat. No, I, you know, so I feel like I agree but, okay. with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> take I us out, Shadi. Take us out. <laughs> I know you got to go. Yes, but this is great, Aaron. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Follow Aaron Sabarium's work on Twitter by following him on Twitter, and yeah, I think it'll be in his, the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, just Aaron Sabarium. Pretty much, but we, you know, but definitely read his article. It is long, but you will enjoy it. You'll benefit from it. And I think you'll learn a lot, even if you end up disagreeing with some of his conclusions. That's what we love to do with Wisdom of Crowds is bring the most intellectually interesting and provocative people who are also generous in spirit in terms of being open to other ideas and open to us challenging them. We took it easy on on Dear Aaron. We weren't as as tough as we could have been. Really? <laughs> you thought we... <laughs> That's oh, no, I think, I think you just didn't bring your A-game, Shadi. I no. thought that was... But honestly, it's it's actually such a good... It's, a, it's not a piece that you can really attack all that much. And, like, we wouldn't bring someone on whose piece we would actually attack because then we wouldn't like then it wouldn't be like an intellectually anyway i don't know whatever. next week and applebaum <laughs> <laughs> okay oh uh bye guys um right. until next time aaron, thanks aaron pleasure all right demir are you still there no we're all still here shoddy's <laughs> oh, okay. not leaving okay i'm uh, definitely going bye guys bye shoddy hey okay.